Welcome to week five in review. In this episode, you will hear me, your host, David McCarriker at Theory Underground, in conversation with first Anne and then Sabine. Anne and I have been living in Mexico now for three weeks, and there have been some complications that were stressful that set us back on some of the things that we were working on. And so we talk about that, as well as uh, at the end of this, you'll hear all about the tour. So I'm very excited for anyone who just listens to the podcast to get up to date with the tour announcements. We actually have areas of the country we will be around certain times and now we just have to fill in the details a lot more information on the nature of the events coming to you soon one last thing i wanted to throw out there is just if you are a theory underground podcast listener you are welcome to the theory-underground.com website register and join in the conversation. There is a public forum there. And I would just love to hear from anyone who has mainly come in through the podcast because I put these out there. They get hundreds of listens. I don't really promote them. I have no idea who listens to them. And so, you know, introduce yourself on the forum, in the public forum, anytime. There's a dedicated discussion just for introductions. I love to get to know the audience. Thank you for listening. Today is an interesting day for me to be uh, doing this because it turned out to be a lot more complicated. than was planned. This last couple of days um, got a little chaotic in in our personal life. I don't. I wouldn't say it was uh, Theory Underground that's going through anything extreme. Um, I mean, it's all good news on the Theory Underground side of things. Think about it. I mean, we are, you know, what halfway through the. Hold on, letting Anne into the call here. But yeah, we are halfway through the idea of the university course, halfway through the PMC consciousness and ideology course. And we got a big donation as well uh, that paid for the, the app that is in development right now. I've come across some pretty big uh, technical complications, but they're not anything beyond or outside of what I already expected because, you know, getting an app going is no joke. It's pretty standard uh, that there would be a lot of technical hurdles. And so I've been dealing with a lot of technical support issues and that's just all part of what I figure is uh, what I signed up for, you know, when we decided to take that leap and say, no, we're really, we're really going to have a, course site uh, or a a social media site built around uh, courses and texts. And that will be the way of keeping people together in dialogue over time during the countrywide tour, about which we'll have more news as well on this stream. 
I also had an interview with Dr. Todd McGowan and Michael Downs. Uh, there was the three of us. It was a couple hours long. It's really exciting. I'm going to be posting it here in a few days, so stay tuned for that. But yeah, like I said, the, on the on the side of Theory Underground, it's cool. We've got a few new people on the forum. We've got a uh, new forum going, in fact, one that is for the $50 tier patrons or the people who pay for one-tenth of the operating costs. There's a special Patreon forum that's been created for those patrons now, and we've gotten a new one this week. So welcome to the club, Carl. Um, you know how George Carlin says it's a small club and you ain't in it when he's talking about the ruling class. Well, my patrons are a small club and Carl is in it. So welcome. <laughs> um, but as far as the personal complications, uh, I want to talk about that. And I want to read a section from Men in Dark Times, which is a work of... Well, it's a collection of essays and lectures by Hannah Arendt. Someone that everyone likes to name or like reference kind of vaguely, but never really like tarry with. And I love her. I think she's great. I wanted to read from the preface and then we'll decide on how we feel later, whether or not we will actually get to the uh, lecture that she gives on, or she gives two sort of talks on Carl Jaspers, his life, his legacy. Part of my my admiration for him, it's not just based in the work that we're reading and the idea of just based in the fact that doing this sort of existentialist project, but that it has a very different flavor that from Sartre and Camus, that it's its its, its own thing that needs to be thought through. Um, he's also a, a fascinating individual for the reasons that Hannah Arendt will show. And I, and I think that during times when it gets difficult, it's good to go back to this book in particular, Men in Dark Times. Why? Because dark times. I mean, everyone goes through them, and sometimes the whole world goes through them. You know, COVID was particularly difficult for a lot of us, for most of us. But World War II, I mean, that was something else. And that's the dark times that she has in mind. So I'm going to just read a couple of pages here, and then we'll talk about the personal complication a couple days. It's in part kind of a funny story. Uh, and Anne will be brought on after I've read this, and we'll we'll just kind of talk about what's going on there. So yeah, I want to just get to it. Here we go. Written over a period of 12 years on the spur of occasion or opportunity, this collection of essays and articles is primarily concerned with persons, how they lived their lives, how they moved in the world, and how they were affected by historical time. The people assembled here could hardly be more unlike each and it is not difficult to imagine how they might have protested, had they been given a voice in the matter, against being gathered into a common room. For they have in common neither gifts nor convictions, neither profession nor milieu. With one exception, they hardly knew of each but they were contemporary, though belonging to different generations, except, of course, for Lessing, who, however, in the introductory essay, is treated as though he were a contemporary. Thus they share with each other the age in which their lifespan fell. The world during the first half of the 20th century with its political catastrophes, its moral disasters, and its astonishing development of the arts and sciences. And while this age killed some of them and determined the life and work of others, there are a few who were hardly affected and none who could be said to be conditioned by it. Those who are, those who are on the lookout for representatives of an era the mouthpieces of the zeitgeist, 
for exponents of history, spelled with a capital H. We'll look here in vain. Still, the historical time, the dark time mentioned in the title, is, I think, visible everywhere in this book. I borrow the term from Brecht's famous poem, To Posterity, which mentions the disorder and the hunger, the massacres and the slaughters, the outrage over injustice and the despair when there was only wrong and no outrage, the legitimate hatred that makes you ugly nevertheless, the well-founded well wrath that makes the voice grow hoarse. All this was real enough as it took place in public. There was nothing secret or mysterious about it. And still, it was by no means visible, to, nor was it at all easy to perceive it. For until the very moment when catastrophe overtook everything, everybody, it was covered up not by reality, but by that highly efficient talk and double talk of nearly all official representatives who, without interruption and in many ingenious variations, explained away unpleasant facts and justified. I think that's something particular can relate to seeing today the duopolistic hate and fear-mongering mainstream and alternative news media scene. Right? Is a lot of people are in the habits of just explaining away unpleasant facts, totally valid concern from the stereotypical left or right. But the point is that there are unpleasant facts that each side are unable to contend with, to integrate, to assimilate, to tarry with. And on the other side, a lot of justified concerns that normal, regular working people would have that neither side is going to take seriously. When we think of dark times and of people living and moving in them, we have to take this camouflage emanating from and spread by the establishment, the system, also into it. If it is the function of the public realm to throw light on the affairs of men, providing a space of appearances in which and show in word, for better and worse, who they are and what they can do, then darkness has come when this light is extinguished. Credibility gaps, invisible government by speech that does not disclose what it what is, but sweeps it under the carpet by exhortation, moral and otherwise, that under the pretext of upholding old truths, degrade all truth to meaningless truth. Nothing of this is new. These are the conditions which, 30 years ago, were described by Sartre in his book Nausea, which I think is still his best book. In terms of bad faith and l'esprit de salut, a world in which everybody who is publicly recognized belongs salauds, and everything that is exists in an opaque, meaningless thereness, which spreads obfuscation and causes disgust. And these are the same conditions which, 40 years ago, though for altogether different purposes, Heidegger described with uncanny precision in those paragraphs of being in time that deal with the they, their mere talk, and generally with everything that, unhidden and unprotected by the privacy of the self, in his description of human existence, everything that is real or authentic is assaulted by the overwhelming power of mere talk that irresistibly arises out of determining every aspect, anticipating and annihilating the sense or the nonsense of everything. There is no escape, according to Heidegger, from the incomprehensible triviality of this common everyday work, except by withdrawal from it into the solitude philosophers since Parmenides, Parmenides and Plato have opposed to you're here not concerned with the philosophical relevance is undeniable, nor with the tradition of philosophic thought that stands behind them, but exclusively certain underlying experiences of the time conception description. In our context, the point is that the sarcastic, perverse-sounding statement, das Licht der Offenlichkeit, werde 
Ellis oh, Fox. The basically roughly the light of the public obscures went to the very heart of the matter and actually was no more than the most succinct summing up of existing condition. Dark times in the broader sense I propose here are as such not identical with the monstrosities of the century, which indeed are of a horrible dark times in contrast are not only not new, they are no rarity in history, although they were perhaps unknown in American which otherwise has its fair share, past and present, of crime and disease, that even in the darkest of we have the right to expect some illumination, and that such illumination may well come less from theories and concepts than from the uncertain, flickering, and often weak light that some men and women in their lives and their work will kindle under, under almost all circumstances and shed over the time span that was given them. This conviction, the inarticulate background against which profile eyes so used to darkness as ours will hardly be able to tell whether their light is the light of a candle or that of a blazing sun. But such objective evaluation seems to me or a second can be safely left January 1968. Carl Jaspers is for a rent one of those flickering candles or blazing sun. Either way, someone who, when the entire world was upside down and People could not even appear in public because the, pel the public realm itself had been foreclosed by totalitarianism, by the total state of World War, uh, by a media and university system complicit in the destruction. Asperger's was somebody who stood above it all in a sort of sense. And one of the few people who was able to stay true to his principles and hold the world itself up against them. So... I might read the rest of that, uh, one of her, her pieces on Jasper later, but right now we're going to talk about the complications that we're running into West Calante's Mexico. And uh, let's see, is Anne, Anne, are you there? Wonderful. Let me see. Here we go. Welcome. Welcome to the screen. You, you are officially visible. Cool. Well, welcome to the Week in Review, Anne. How's it going? So what, what's going on? What has, what, what is the news? So a person who's just trying to stay in the basic loop here. I mean, I already said, yeah, we're basically halfway through this body, blah, blah, blah. As far as our time here in Mexico goes, what's going on? Wrenching the gears, yeah. And I'm sorry to have to interrupt, but um, James Hamilton in the chat, thanks James, just said that Anne is muted. Let me fix it. Oh no. Welcome. Welcome to the stream, Anne. <laughs> Hello, can you hear me now? Have yeah. I I've been going on and on and on. I know, I know. Um, so uh, thanks, James. Uh, it's good to have people Thank in the you. chat who are able to let us know when there's a technical difficulty like that. Uh, you know, sometimes OBS makes it so that this comes through just fine on the microphone side, but I apparently I just wasn't capturing desktop audio, so I... Uh, Sorry, and you were doing such a good job That's explaining okay. it. So, and, and now you're gonna feel I like know. you have to repeat everything. So, basically, you were saying that. When, here, I, when, here, let me let me just redo it. it. Okay, okay. So, Mexico. You come to Mexico. They used to give you a physical tourist document if you were gonna be here for 180 days or less. Now they've phased out the physical document. So we get to the airport. We do literally everything they tell us to do. We write down all the exact information. We tell them, "Yep, we're gonna be here till the beginning of June." Like, boom, we give them what they want, what they need, what they asked for. They said, oh, you two are together? Cool. Just fill out one form for the two of you. Great. Cool. Got it. I, I know enough Spanish to where, like, I was understanding what they needed. I could communicate with them. 
And so to my knowledge, we did everything right. They're like, great, welcome to Mexico. I just found out a few days ago that this form that used to be physical, the information that we gave them at the airport, it's, they now like upload it digitally. And so we just have to download that form and just like have it on us if we ever got stopped, if anyone wanted to see, because it's like basically your visa as a United States citizen. I, I know there's more things that you have to do if you're like from another country. Um, so like, it's not always this easy, but for US citizens, it's just like, boom, we write our stuff down and they give you this FMM form. It's called, it's the, the tourist visa, basically, FMM. So I go to download mine just a few days ago and I see even though at the airport, we, we told them when we wrote down that we were going to be here until the beginning of June, that they've only granted us 20 days to be here. And I'm like, um, that's incorrect. That's ridiculous. Um, gave them, like, we told them when we were going to leave. They didn't ask for proof. They didn't try to negotiate with us and say, well, we, you can't be here for that long. They just took our paper and said, okay, come on in. So I'm like, okay, well, crap. I look at it and I'm like, shit, that's like a week away. Like, it's now, now it's like four days away, this day that like technically we're not supposed to be here anymore. And so that's stressful. Um, I don't know if you want to add anything. I mean, we, we went to the immigration office today, which is on the other side of town, got a ride, got a ride share, showed up. I like kind of tried to talk to the guy at the reception. He's like, oh, there's no one here to help you with this today. Monday's a national holiday. Tuesday, the day that our 20 days is up, there's not going to be anyone in the office to help with this info. So they said, come back on Wednesday. And I said, um, but like our visa is technically like expired on Wednesday. And he's like, go, we'll just go on Wednesday. Like, it's fine. Just come back on Wednesday. So I'm like, okay. So basically that's something stressful that we have to deal with. It's like, yeah, it, just, it, yeah, getting that figured out because we want to be here legally. We want to like have everything covered so that we can travel freely to other cities and and just be out and about and not constantly be like, oh no, are they going to check our documents? Are they going to check our documents? Like we want to do it right. Like we respect the process. We're just frustrated that whatever happened at the airport like did not transfer onto the this document. Um, yeah. So that was kind of a crazy thing. Yeah, that was also very impressive on your part for being able to communicate all of that in Spanish. What was that like? I, because we only talked to like a reception person and didn't have to talk, we didn't get a chance to like kind of present our whole case. It was not like as stressful, but I've like had all like, I practiced the speech like out loud, like, okay, what do I need to say? Like, what happened, just like making sure I knew all the words and, and how I would say it. Um, so it was definitely like kind of stressful, but I think par like probably pretty common for Americans to come to Mexico. It's like kind of larger touristy areas and not speak very much Spanish or like feel entitled to some help. I think like, you know, we mm -hmm. can tend to have kind of a not so great uh reputation reputation when traveling mm -hmm. to like Mexico or Spanish speaking countries. And so the fact that I knew enough, I think to like communicate and kind of explain the problem and listen to him. And I have to say, Oh, like, I'm sorry. I don't really understand a lot of what you're saying. So they're able to kind of slow down and like help me understand them. Um, but that like feels good. And I think they probably think, Oh, like a cute little couple, like one of them speaking English, one of them's learning English. Mm. Um, or Spanish. So 
or Spanish. One of them speaks a little bit of Spanish. One of them's learning Spanish. Like it's it's rewarding for sure. Um, I was ready, like I was ready to present our whole case and like negotiate and like figure it out. So I was kind of almost like frustrated that like oh I was like I'm ready to do it right then at that moment. But yeah, it's it feels good. It makes me kind of nervous. But I think also because we're in like a not so touristy part of the country and we're like actively learning and trying to speak, I think people like here are just really nice in general. And so they find it like endearing. They're like, oh, like you're trying and, and we'll help us. Like, you know, we were even just asking questions to our Uber driver on the way home. Like, oh, wait, if we wanted to say this, like what, what would we use here? What word would we use or stuff yeah. like that? Yeah, como se dice uh, aguas calientes es hermoso o uh, hermosa, femenina o masculina, masculino, masculino yeah. you know, yeah, and uh, it turns out it's uh, masculine, you know? so in a lot of, mm-hmm. a lot of the, you know, like Western languages would uh, feminize a city or a, or a country, right, like Oh, mm-hmm. our land, she, she, her, her. And yeah. for, uh, no, apparently in Espanol, uh, at least when we're talking about Aguas Caliente. Yeah. And, you know, and I was able to say a little bit, I was able to charm him just a little mm-hmm. bit, I think, you know, when we were in there, because I was like, I was like, I was like, uh, about to ask Anne to translate something, but then I turned to him first and I was like, lo siento, me no hablo español muy bien, you know, which is like, I don't speak very good. And he's like, <laughs> you know, and then, uh, but yeah. then I kind of pointed at Anne. And so then I asked Anne and then he, she was able to ask him. And so it's, I, you know, I think that, yeah, you're right. People find it endearing because a lot of the time when they do encounter gringos, the, they're not trying to learn the language. But one of the nice things about being here is that there's not a lot of them. And so, mm-hmm. you know, we kind of, people are like, oh my gosh, you know, look, it's some young Americans and they're not just yeah. like retiree expats and they are trying to learn the language. And so, you know, that's encouraging. Yeah. Like we didn't just move here to take advantage of the economy. We're not just here for a little bit. Like people are so shocked. They're like, wow, you're going to be here for five months. And we're like, yeah, we're just here to like learn Spanish. I mean, we're doing, trying to do some work online and like make some money just online but like the reason we came to mexico as opposed to just doing that in the united states or doing it in europe or doing it in another like affordable country is well we wanted to learn spanish right and in ann's case you know it's more about building confidence it's building yeah building up the skills like improving my listening comprehension because it's, it's one thing to speak spanish like in a classroom where everyone else is not a native spanish speaker um then when you're talking to people who have been speaking this language their whole life and they have you know they can conjugate like it's just second nature to them and so like learning all these new words and like really having to listen and pay attention and 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 improve my like listening comprehension for native speakers has been really good and rewarding but it's also been good to just yeah to be able to like practice be reminded of words oh yeah that word oh yeah that's what that means yeah so So i recommend any spanish teacher you'll ever encounter like in a school setting will say i can only teach you so much really the best way to learn is go immerse yourself and live in a spanish-speaking country so i'm like that seriously okay seriously we've been told that our whole lives i mean me in various contexts where people are basically saying there's no kind of for me like a lot of my pre-college friends acting like well what's the point of studying a language you just need to go there 
Whereas on your side, like, you know, it's, it's being really encouraged. Yeah. Study it and be immersed. And so both of us have heard immerse yourself, immerse yourself like our whole lives. And then when we finally make that decision, a lot of people are like, but why are you going there? And it's like, yeah, shouldn't, shouldn't people just assume, shouldn't it be a common enough thing that people are going for the reason of immersion? Like, shouldn't that be Mm -hmm. normal considering the fact that we've been told that our whole life? But apparently nobody takes the demand seriously. So, you know, but here we are. We're trying. Hopefully we don't get deported by the (laughs) by the federales. Um, We told our we told our Uber driver. We're like, yeah, we're really nervous because they got our document wrong. And she's like, you don't need to worry. You'll be fine. Don't worry about it. They won't even look at your papers. They're so nice there. They won't. You'll be fine. So that was, I guess, like reassuring. And I've been in communication with a couple of immigration lawyers um and there are i suppose some i mean some advice that we like legitimately got this person wasn't trying to be funny but they're like you can always like leave the country go to the united states and then re-enter and actually like get it right there so that is an option worse if worse comes to worse they go yeah there's not really anything we can do like you have to leave and leave and come right back um but we're hoping that we can get it all worked out next week. And yeah, we'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah, so that's that. That's the probably the biggest factor. But I do want to bring up the other factor because, you know, not a lot of people watch this channel, but it seems like all the right people tend to watch it. Meaning that a lot of unique opportunities have come through the work that I do on this channel. And... So I wanted to take a moment here for our future listeners, for our podcast listeners, for anybody who checks this out today. Um, if you know of a good job, a good online job, uh, let us know. Uh, yeah, and do you want to talk a little bit about yeah. the angst of being a post-grad, uh, jo- you know, on the job hunt? Yeah, so... I graduated from college in 2021, and right out of that, I had um, like in-person jobs kind of lined up, and I kind of intentionally took a break from like doing anything super rigorous. So I worked in a couple different bakeries for a year. I also got asked to like come teach and help develop and and be a discussion leader for a course at the university I graduated from. Um, and so come you know September October of 2022 and Dave and I just decided wow this like Boise Idaho where we were living is like not really affordable for us anymore even both working full-time jobs me full-time plus the teaching job it was like wow you know I'm living in a I I don't know the square footage but a tiny little studio apartment with that has room for a bed a microscopic kitchen table a tiny little kitchen there's not even space for a microwave in it and a bathroom for 925 US dollars a month. And that was the cheapest thing that I could find that like I scoured the internet. I searched high and low for like somewhere to live. And that was like the cheapest place in the area for a shitty little studio. And so we just decided, hey, well, we've really got nothing tying us down here to the United States. Let's travel for a year. Everyone says, oh, travel where you're young, travel where you're young. Like, absolutely. We were like having a really great time here meeting people. We had a great time while we were in Europe. Um, but part of that was, okay, cool. We'll travel and I will do, you know, Dave building up 
uh, theory underground with the hopes that that like can become somewhat like financially feasible. And then so I was like, great, I'll just, you know, find some online work. And, you know, at that time, especially like October, November, it seemed like everywhere was hiring. Everyone was, why doesn't anyone want to work? We're short, we're so low staffed. Everywhere is hiring. I go, great, finding a remote job in this economy, it'll be easy. It'll be so easy. And I would add that you went to, you went for count, you went, you went for job counseling at Boise State. I went for a counseling appointment. I got referred to some like platforms. I got some kind of, uh, uh, resume advice. I feel pretty strongly about like the resume that I made. I feel like it's pretty good. Um, I feel like I can write a good cover letter. Like I'm to my own demise, I suppose I'm like a doer and an overachiever, especially for like, teacher or a professor um and so it's like yeah i'd be a great employee doing like re- like research assistantship online data entry anything like that and so i've applied to a handful of research assistantships as well as quite a few like data entry positions um administrative assistant positions like things that i can kind of easily do online that are within my skill set that are within my personality type that are within my interests like i genuinely enjoy like data entry and clerical work, just because I'm like a con- what's called a conventional personality type. And so just those kind of repetitive, organized, seemingly like monotonous or like extra logistical tasks. I'm like, that's my, that is my thing. Uh, like dealing with this whole visa thing. I'm like, okay, figuring out the logistics here. Like I'm a logistic brain. This is Every why relationship I was... has a logistic brain person. And maybe I don't, I'm not logistic brain, but like someone who's maybe a bit more like creative and relaxed and spontaneous and it works really well but like I'm a logistics person and so I thrive at those jobs and I've applied to I don't know how many a lot like a pretty good amount and literally like out of all of them I've been applying to jobs from mid-November beginning of November mid-November to like now like today maybe three of them have actually gotten back to me and said oh like thank you we've you know selected another candidate the rest like Silent. Like I have no verification if they've even looked at my application. I've sent follow-up emails to a number of the ones that I can find like an email address for. Um, Cause some of them, like I, I can't find an email address. And it's like, oh, okay, well that's poof in the air. Exactly. But it's like, dang, these places. And I saw like a, a tweet or a post just a few days ago where someone was like, I've applied to 33 jobs in the last two months and I've heard back from two. I'm like, what well, they can't and I and I think I've heard that like small well, companies fake job postings for tax purposes, blah blah blah. But it's like some of them like I've literally gone directly to their website and, and done like creating an account and done it. So I try to avoid applying through like Indeed or Glassdoor. I try to go directly to the source because I just like that gets it to them faster and is a little bit more legitimate. But like no one's getting back to me. So I'm like, ooh, whoops. Side hustles can I do? What freelance can I do? Um, while I like to keep applying and, and look and finding good opportunities because it's like, it's not that expensive to live here, but it's like, well, we need to like pay for our Airbnb and food and be able to get back home. So that's been a little bit stressful and on my mind and is like detracting from my ability to participate in theory underground in the extent that I do, which is like through some of these courses, because I'm so preoccupied, just like stressing and thinking about money, that it is almost like a debilitating kind of stress where I'm like, 
I can't do anything. So that is the struggle. I don't, that is, I don't know how this relates. You could probably tie it in somehow. Yeah. To Theory Underground, we yeah, can review, it's, but it's time yeah, to write. It's, it's, it's time to, it's a lot. can yeah. you hear me? Oh, it's time to write the follow-up. I was going to say, it's time to write the follow-up to Rent's work. It would be called Ands in Dark Times. <laughs> but the, yeah, the, you know, you've had quite the insight into this part of the student experience from being the student to being the instructor uh, with that course, Is College Worth It? And one of the things you all talked about in your course was the job situation. Do you think that those discussions or the research that you were doing in that course adequately prepared you or your expectations for these realities you are encountering? I mean, I think like deep down in my soul, I'm like, eh, yeah, this makes sense. Like that people are screwed over and unable to find jobs right now. And like, it makes sense economically. It makes sense from the research. I think there's just like a lot of, you know, students, they leave school and they're not always getting like that great corporate job that they want. But I think uh, it's like, I think we all probably think, oh, well, that, that doesn't apply to me. I'm so, I, my resume is great. Oh, I'm, I know, I'll get a job easy. And so like deep down, I'm like, uh, yeah, this makes sense. And I don't really know what to do about it, except for like, keep trying. And especially the issue with remote jobs, because you think like, oh, remote jobs have boomed after COVID. Mm-hmm. And a lot more people are working from home. A lot of companies have a lot of opportunities to work from home. I mean, we know a handful of people who work from home, either like with a business or they kind of do their own freelancing thing. So it's definitely possible. Like I know that it is. Um, and I thought, oh, so, but like, I'm used to kind of advocating for myself in person. So going, going to a business and saying, hi, can I speak to someone? Can I, can I give my manager to someone being able to make phone calls and like put like names to faces? That's how I've been offered a lot of jobs. Like while I was in college is just literally going somewhere and being, oh, they're hiring. Okay. I'm going to go and, and talk to them. So now when it's online and there's places all over the United States and some of them don't even have email addresses and some of them don't even have like application portals on their website, you have to do it through Indeed. There's like, well, what can I, what more can I do? You know? Yeah. And the, the kinds of jobs that you got in college as well, like these are what they call entry level. These are, you know, these are they don't pay that great. I mean, obviously, the as a baker, you know, waking up at 4.30 in the morning, 4 in the morning, going to bake, you were, it's, I mean, that was, uh, it, it wasn't, it was, it was barely covering rent, you know, and, uh, you know, yeah, you're able to go in there and get the job, but that's not one of these kinds of jobs that the degree is supposed to unlock. And so, yeah, you're supposed to have like access to kind of more like careers, which is what I've been applying for. And it, and it's, it's also frustrating because of how specific some of these jobs are is like, it disqualifies me. Like I can't even apply. It's like, Oh, I match 80% of what they want, but they want you to have a, a master's degree or they want you to know this like very, very specific type of like qualitative research or quantitative research platform or, or there's this and that thing 
And I think that's like always been a struggle and kind of like an internet meme is like, oh, all of these places are requiring like X amount of years. You have to have had this many years of experience. It's like, I match every single qualification except for the experience. If all these jobs need you to have prior experience in the field, then where are people getting the experience if they're not getting these fields? That's always something that I think like students have talked about and that's kind of like an internet meme is where where am I supposed to get the experience if you're not hiring me because I don't have the experience and everywhere seems to want some sort of experience. So it, it definitely when it when it says must have three years of experience in data or in this or in that and like some of them I go, well I did like three, two and a half, three years of research and I go, oh that's data and I kinda leave it vague, but some of them that would be like a great match with a great company that would offer good pay. It's like disqualified because I don't match the like very specific experience that they're looking for. Yeah. And one of the things that really gets under my skin, I find it so frustrating when I'm thinking about the fact that like you have the experience in the sense that you've been, you know, gifted track and in advanced classes your entire life and you are so disciplined and logistical that if there's anything you have to learn at a job, you're able to. They should be able to look at that transcript and go, oh yeah, she can learn anything, literally anything. She's able to learn science. She's able to learn math. She's able to learn any obscure philosophical, historical, geological, anything. You have this amazing ability that not everybody has, right? Like a lot of, what would it be like to be in the situation of to get this, trying to get a job that can actually pay bills, uh, but you didn't, you weren't in the top 1% of every class that you've, you have been, you've always been in the top 1%. And so it's like, that's a crazy situation to be in today. And also with that discipline, with those logistics, your ability to navigate the bureaucratic acrobatics, the red tape, the hoops, you are uh, doing more in terms of the hunt than a lot of other people. And I know this because I've had a lot of roommates who are on the hunt. I've been on the hunt. I've asked a lot of other people about their experiences on the job hunt. And so um, just in comparison to everyone else I know, I mean, if you're struggling, I'm sure everyone is struggling. And that's one of the things that I think the, this combo of courses we're doing right now the idea of the university and the professional managerial class consciousness and ideology courses both kind of have something to say or inform us about, right? Like, and uh, I think I'm going to be uh, letting somebody into the call here in a little bit once we kind of close out this these threads. But I just kind of wanted to ask you about tying that into any of the readings that we've been doing or any of the conversations that have been going on about those. Actually, I will let Sabine in just in case Sabine can't hear us really quick here. So uh, uh, welcome welcome to the chat here, uh, Sabine. I think you're probably able to hear me. Um, hey, welcome. Uh, <laughs> Bad. We can hear you, but it's like very, very noisy. Yeah. It was like, uh, welcome, Sabine. Uh, it was. Like, yeah. Uh, let's see. We well, actually, how about this, Sabine? 
Um, we wanted to bring you in just in case you were not watching the live version of this, but uh, we're live right now, so welcome. You don't have to show your face. You can always mute or you know turn off your camera or whatever. But yes, we're we're currently live. There's only a few people watching. Um, probably 150 in the total life of the video. But uh, I wanted to let you in while we were working on closing these threads that we were working out here, just in case uh, you weren't watching the live version. Were you? Were you watching it? I was watching some of it, but I think the live version has been a little bit yeah, that's indecipherable. I think that there's an issue with not just like the background being loud or something, but it's like jarbled uh, microphone. So um, you can mess around, I guess, and you can always type in the chat and we'll read it out loud. So, but anyway, thank you for joining the sort of community week in review event. Um, okay, they're going to go cool. work I that out. I can so, yeah. answer yeah. your question. There we go. Um, as far as relating kind of the struggle to like the idea of the university or the professional managerial class. I think like you said, it definitely kind of ties in. Um, and I think so with, with the idea of the university, you know, you talk about Jasper's conception of what the idea of the university is supposed to look like. And it's supposed to be this institution for like learning and engaging with your peers and, and research and, and seeking truth which I did my best to take advantage of that. And, you know, companies claim, oh, we want critical thinkers. We want people who like love to learn and are passionate. And so kind of that aligns with like, they, like they, they claim that they want someone who embodies these ideals of university. But at the same time, they want like an, they want an employee. And so the, the current university structured to like, oh, he's going to get you out, get you your degree, get you your job. And so it's like, I'm stuck in between these two worlds of like doing it, going to school, getting higher education because I genuinely care and I care about education and I wanted to learn. And then also doing it because, oh, well, society says that's the way that I'm going to get a good job. And so it's frustrating when it's like, I, I did it. I not only did I do it, but I graduated with a high GPA. I did, you know, I I participated in research cohorts and had research assistantships. I, I, I checked all the boxes, like, so to say, but I tried my best to like accelerate and go above and beyond and be a really great student. And so to have gone through that and still be at the other end, like struggling to find a career, to start a career, to do something that is in line with my, like what my major was, what my skills are that I was able to develop, it just makes you think, well, then what is the point of the university? If students are even struggling to get a job, if that if it's not following the, you know, ideas of the idea of the university in Jasper's perspective, then it's this like corporate job machine. But if it's not doing either of those things, then what is, what is it doing? It's taking all of our money from us. Yeah, <laughs> so, so there's that. And then on the other hand, you have this, professional managerial class rhetoric of, oh, you know, the best way to, to get out of your situation is just to go to school and to get educated. And that's going to open up so many opportunities for you. And it's like, I, you know, you have to still think, yeah, well, I'm young, I'm traveling, but also I got to do this stuff. Like I did it. Like I, I did what the liberals wanted me to do. I went to school. I studied social science. I, I graduated with high Agree. Like I, I tried so hard to kind of do what I was supposed to do and do it well. 
And according to, you know, education is just the solution. Education will end poverty. Education will open up so many opportunities in your life. And I think, and I, again, I know that things aren't just going to be handed to me in life and that I have to work for them and keep applying to jobs that you would think after applying to like well over 15 at this point, someone would have at least gotten back to me or, or scheduled me for an interview. You know what? One, this is a public service announcement. There are job scammers yeah. now. If you have been out there like applying on Indeed, the scammers like will figure that out. So I got a text message message saying, hi, this is so-and-so getting back to you uh, from your Indeed application for data entry clerk. It's like, oh, I, yes, that's correct. Um, like they, they knew my name. They somehow knew my, my whole name. They said, it's a Sam Snowgrove. Great, cool. We're going to schedule, you know, like, we're going to schedule uh, an interview with you. So like everything seemed real up until this point. This person's like, great, I'm going to connect you to the Zoom of our hiring manager. He's going to give you the information. And when it started to get fishy was I was communicating with this hiring person, like this other person with the company on Zoom, like in the Zoom chat, trying to figure out like when to have this meeting. And he like copied and pasted a, a text message that I had gotten from this other person on my phone number. And I was like, and they were like, the interview has to be conducted over text message before we can give you any information. You'll see. Just wait. Okay. It was like really bizarre. And so I looked it up and it's like, oh, job scams are a thing now. And so the whole thing, the whole like college crossing so much with the premise that you're going to get a great job right out of it. And then the, the discourse that you, know, you have to have this education to even have a good career followed by the fact that while you're just like searching for jobs online, like when you're traveling or if you're just searching for remote, there's even people out there who are trying to scam you. It's all so predatory for young people who are literally just trying to make some sort of like real income to start building for their future. And for a lot of people, like paying off their debt and, and saving for like potential family or, you know, medical emergencies but at this point it's just like paying for food and, and rent and it's hard very hard i hate us <sighs> thank you for sharing all of that sabine do you want to try your new microphone how are we sounding clear as the day hey we're in business welcome sabine how are you doing today um doing well i'm having a, a travel experience buying new art supplies it's lovely Ooh, great yeah well, um, and you are in the course on the PMC, is that the, correct? The PMC course, that's right, yeah. And how's that going for you so far? Um, I'm liking it a lot. There's a lot of um, fascinating ideas to chew on. Uh, I feel like it's lining up well with some other ideas I've been turning over around more technological concepts of subjugation. And I think it's a really useful... Yeah, j just knowing the planning of this class over the last 150 years or so is extremely illuminating. Um, and like was, knowing was that there of, was actual. So, oh, I'm sorry, but like you mm -hmm. mean like knowing that there was actually like it was part of the progressive plan, like that they actually were explicit mm -hmm. about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know if you got a chance to read my response to some of the to the pieces I, I just posted earlier today. Um, sort of as we can can conceive of a a, a labor body that's being somewhat lobotomized in this like introduction of, of an, another class that's taking over engineering roles, that's taking over managerial roles, and just how that's sort of refined throughout the years. 
until we're at this place of working for an app or for an AI or for, uh, you know, scientifically perfected in the, um, what's the guy's name? Taylorist mm-hmm, sense. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So I don't know, an interesting lay of the land for this like proto fortification, proto gigification of everything. So I, I found that very valuable and also just this space to like, you know, put forward some ideas and get weird with it has been lovely. Cool. Um, is there anything else you want to share in terms of like, uh, I mean, like, are you a student right now? Are you working right now? I mean, as far as introducing yourself to anybody who's never met you before, I always give people who pop on an opportunity, if you have a channel or anything else that you plug, like a blog, you know, whatever, you know. Sure. I don't have really anything to plug right now. Just, um, you know, I feel, I feel like it, the things I'm working on are still pretty coming into being. So I'll be putting together a blog soon and hopefully we can do a reintroduction when I have more things to plug. Uh, but you know, I'm living in New York. I spent the last couple of years, uh, converting to Judaism, um, doing lots of writing and thinking in that regard. And now there's sort of this new space, you know, doing therapy. Ew. So I have so much more access to like my mind, to my libidinal self, et cetera, et cetera. So like, like, uh, learning, learning some Lacan and getting interested in, turning to school sometime soon to just sort of sharpen a uh, practice of inquiry and a uh, practice of study has mm. been something I'm really looking forward to. And uh, just being able to get a little bit of that through theory underground has been pretty great also. That's awesome. And is there anything that you I'm just excited to see a new face here. Sounds like your life. Very exciting. Lots of things developing right now. That's really cool. Um, I will probably leave this call I can finish up a couple things. I'll just say, uh, if anyone out there in the theory underground uh, and community needs me to do literally anything for money, okay, that's a lie. Not literally anything, but research, data, uh, administrative assistant, anything along those lines for a social science person, part-time, full-time, remote, let us know. But Sabine, I'm happy you're here. It's really good to meet you. And I'm going to head out on this call. Likewise. Nice to meet you too. Yeah, and uh, on that note, if anyone's wondering the best way to contact her, then get on the Theory Underground website, just add her as a connection, which is the more, like on Facebook when you friend somebody, it's just just called connecting the site. So we're not going to call it friending because that's kind of, you know, whatever. But yeah, you can add a connection and uh, direct message. And so um, if you know of anything... Then yeah, get get a hold of us. Let us. Right now, we've been living primarily off of my money for the last couple months, and the funny thing about that is I don't have a job, so <laughs> it's like uh, the money that we have is some. It's like I saved up some money at Amazon last year, um, and then I sold my tiny house bedroom thing the, that I called the foothold. Sold that and got some money for that. I mean, it's actually. You know, I was quite happy with how it worked out, and so was the person who bought it. Right, it was a good deal for both of us. And so, anyway, but the you know the funds are dwindling, and you know if I have to pick up a side gig while doing this, I will. And uh, if Anne Anne's kind of saying the same thing, like she might just start doing some like some smaller freelance things. But yeah, the the goal and the expectation was that there would be some kind of a data entry gig or administrative assistant kind of thing. And because it looked like there were so many, when we both went for job counseling, like last October and November, and then we've continued the communication with the person who does that. Like you, you talk to, you talk to 
the career counselor and it's just like, oh, it's all plenitude. There are so many things on offer. And then it's like, but where? But uh, uh, so Sabine, were you able to catch uh, the beginning, the first half, any of the other stuff that's gone on already? Or should I run, get, catch you up to date? A quick recap would be fantastic. Cool. So let's see. It started out with me saying that uh, I would be doing a quick rundown of, yeah, like the basic update as far as Theory Underground goes. Um, then we would talk about some personal complication. Uh, the main thing that you missed is that um, Anne and I, we thought that we have until the end of May to be in Mexico. <laughs> and uh, the documents at the airport were, um, we told them, oh yeah, we're together and uh, we're going to be here until the end of May. And they were like, cool, blah, blah, blah. And then they signed, you know, they didn't give us a paper or anything. And the logistical genius that she is, wanting to double check things and look over stuff, goes online, looks at our digital papers and sees that they had assigned us only 20 days. So here we are, we've got two months in this place already paid for and uh, we're planning on the getting the extension of either this place or a place that's a bit closer to where everything's going on in Os Calientes. And uh, all of a sudden we're like, we're gonna get deported? <laughs> like, fuck. So the... We're in the struggle of jobs. We're in the struggle of our legal status. Um, and it's ironic because we're gringos in this case. And so it's like Mexico getting its revenge <laughs> uh, on Americans, you know, which is fair enough, fair enough. But, uh, you know, we're hoping to have it all figured out on Wednesday, um, which is the day after we're supposed to leave. But when we went to the place today, the person wasn't in and we talked to someone else and we were able to figure out um, he said we should be fine to just come in a day late and get it figured out. I'm, I'm, they might give us like some fine or something, but it would be like 20 bucks. So um, hopefully we can get the extension. And then the absolute worst case scenario isn't probably jail. It's probably – this is a funny little loophole situation. We would have to go to Tijuana and cross a bridge. They call it a sky bridge onto the San Diego side. You know, they would stamp us, like accept us back into the United States. And then we'd just come right back over. So, I mean, that would just be an inconvenience in the sense of having to pay for the flight to Tijuana on, you know, like next week. Um, anyway, uh, it's it's just kind of crazy. The the arbitrary lines on national borders and the whole process and the fact that they we told them what the plan was and they were like, cool, yeah, you're good. And then they just wrote down, no, fuck you, 20 days. So like the whole thing is like a crazy situation. But, you know, anyway, so... Um, that's the main stuff that you missed, but I had said that I was going to, uh, probably read Hannah Arendt's, uh, article on Carl Jaspers because, uh, it's relatively short, uh, and, and it's interesting. I definitely think it's, uh, part of the Theory Underground project here in the first year to remind people that he exists and that he has been underrepresented in the, in theory circles, uh, Insofar as we agree or disagree with him, we should be taking him seriously, struggling with him in the way that we would anyone else. But if we can take someone like Kojev seriously, who's obviously a little bit more um, niche or you know obscure in terms of like you know doesn't have that name and face recognition of like a Derrida or something, um, then I think Carl Jaspers is is no less of an exception and probably I would say more important for my interest at least because of the importance of lived embodied philosophy, right? Like the the, the existentialism. So um, Jasper's is, it, when people think existentialism, they tend to think of Sartre and Camus. You know? And it's like, no, Jasper's is, 
properly speaking, like the father of existentialism. I think he coined the term. Like he did a lot in terms of uh, resuscitating uh, the image of Nietzsche from the Nazi appropriation before it was cool, before Walter Kaufman did it. And so, yeah. Anyway, but I will actually be reading that probably next week. Uh, and and figured we could probably just have a little bit of a chat here and then close out some time in the near future. Because I don't like to keep it too long. Interesting. Yeah. But yeah. Um, um, oh, just so far as the upcoming uh, classes, just did want to share. I found a copy of For They Know Not What They Do uh, floating around at a very good price in this very beautiful volume. Someone's from 92. I don't know anything about this book other than that it's an upcoming course that i'm somewhat fascinated by and your enrolled? face is lighting up so maybe you want to give me a quick rundown of i i'm strongly considering it yeah okay okay yeah um yeah well what can i say about this course why am i excited about this course slavoj zizek is known you know in the sense that his he's got that face and name recognition mm -hmm. but the general way that he is known is as a meme or a sort of clown like that that article trying to cancel him called him the the capitalism's court jester you know and so you know most of what we see are clips of him saying things and a lot of his articles his popular articles in the Guardian or something like that tend to be like whatever uh, people who don't think there's a lot going on there. Uh, sure, you know, of course, you know, there's we we kind of understand that people wouldn't really, where the people would be confused about about his success, um, especially if like you pick up one of his bestseller books and it's just it's just like uh, like the uh, you know it's a lot of his political commentary. It's interesting. In the, in the way that any article in The Guardian might be interesting. But he is a theorist, and it's hard for people to miss the fact that he is a theorist on the level of a Hegel or of a Derrida, right? And so it's like, well, then how? how where? Where are these essential texts of his? And it's basically the, the early ones that are the most formative and that really established him in the world of theory. Is the, it's two books. It's sublime object of ideology and for they know not what they do. Sublime object of ideology is basically his Lacan book and, uh, and, and you know, applying Lacan uh, or to Marxism, you know, and, and thinking like, uh, what is, how do we resuscitate the psychoanalytic project as well as the Marxist project in the wake of they're being so discredited by the Black Book on Communism or the Black Book on Psychoanalysis, which are two books that are just these giant compilations of takedowns. Um, and he says, well, we have to do it by going back to Marx through Hegel, through Lacan, right? Which is like, whoa, how are you going to do that? And so Sublime Objective Ideology is the one that people typically read if they get into the more theoretical side of him or you know there's other ones like the plague of fantasies or uh the uh sex in the failed absolute or uh less than nothing is kind of his masterpiece in the sense that it really does bring together a lot of the early stuff from sublime object before they know not what they do it just happens to be like insanely large like it's a fat book and so for us before they know not what they do though became the one that we wanted to focus on this year because we were in a discussion group being led by Zizek and So On podcast last year. They're great people. And Matthew Flizfader is a professor who was uh, facilitating those conversations. 
And we thought what was missing is an actual crash course that does an act, uh, lecture style approach. And that tends to be what's missing in the world of theory. If you want uh, an introductory course in any of these theorists, you're not gonna find it, or it's gonna be very hard to come by. And you know, you, you know, if you go to like the New Center for Research and Practice, it's gonna be something like, like uh, Hegel, Aesthetics, and AI. And it's basically someone who wrote a book or is writing a book doing a special topic seminar. And then they usually don't even lecture. They kind of assume that you already have a basis in all of those things. And they're kind of facilitating conversation. And so this facilitating conversation style approach is good if the people involved have gotten that sort of intro crash course. Um, but for working class people or people who are new to theory, both. Because anything that is accessible to a working class person is going to, who's obviously very interested already, passionate. Um, if it's accessible to that person working with earbuds, uh, then it's gonna be accessible to anybody getting into this is kind of the idea. And for us, myself and Mike, Michael Downs of the Dangerous Maybe blog, neither of us have been able to find those kind of introductory courses that we crave. And he's been studying philosophy now for like 18 years. Um, he's finally at the point where he feels confident enough to teach a course like this one. And so he's never done a full lecture course. He's done guest lectures at various universities. He's done um, smaller things on his own YouTube channel back in the day. He's done a lot of the amazing sort of like his blog posts are game changers in terms of if you're getting into trying to understand psychoanalysis. So like his OJ Petty Ah post is the definitive thing that you need to read about that concept. His The post on the phallus, definitive thing that you need to read on that concept. And uh, so... I got him to start teaching me Lacan and Zizek over the last few years on my channel. And I've been re-releasing these in 20 to 30 minute clips. Um, and so all of the intro to Lacan stuff has gone up recently. And coming up, as long as I can keep working here and without having to worry about moving, um, going to be releasing the intro to Zizek stuff. And so before the 4 They Know Not What They Do course launches, there should be a new video every day introducing you to the basics of Zizekian theory of ideology. But before they don't know what they do is the Hegelian work. And so when I think of Hegel, I think of some some guy who looks like a founding father almost. You know what I mean? Like just a, all, like just who, like why? It, are we going to be reading Leibniz next? You know, wh why is it Hegel? And the reason we have to go through Hegel is because he was so fundamental to Marx. But Marx and the young Hegelians he was a part of, as well as everybody after him, basically mistook Hegel for this simplistic thesis versus antithesis turns into the synthesis approach, which is actually Fichtean. Fichte was someone who was like a compatriot of, of Hegel's, and Hegel was very critical of Fichte. And so what Zizek and Todd McGowan have done for, uh, as well as like Dolaire and Alenka Zupanchik and uh, a bunch of other of these Slovenian circle people, what they've done for Hegel um, studies is to show us that this 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 stereotype of Hegel as being this thinker of totality that sees world history on a theological tract that you know and, and it's all predictable and we can understand how it's going to go and we can reach absolute knowing and all of this other stuff. It's wrong. It's wrong. It's wrong. It's wrong. And he's actually the thinker of contradiction, and that's the thing that we need to focus on. What does it mean that he's a the thinker of contradiction? And so this course 
unlike the PMC course, unlike the idea of the university course, which are the only two courses Theory Underground has put on so far, this will be the first where it's like in the deep. And so if you're not currently pulled between like 20 competing obligations like every student tends to be, or if you're not working a soul-sucking job that makes it so you can't dive in the deep end at the moment, then this might be one of the those special opportunities. That's why I get excited is because Mikey is going to be lecturing. And I just think that it's so rare to get someone who has, a, who has his old normie ears still lecturing. And that's like a special skill set to be able to remember what this theory stuff sounds like before you have a basis in it. You know, because it's, it's too easy to to learn it over time and then eventually you've internalized it all, but you don't remember what it was like to be so alienated by it all. And so, yeah, that's why I'm excited. Yeah, sure. No, I've, I've been catching up with the uh, Gauls Lacan lectures and that's been really nice in, co uh, in conjunction with um, Bruce Fink's clinical introduction. Nice, uh, nice. Really a, a good pairing for getting a little bit of a basis, but it is, you know, extraordinarily heady. So uh, yeah, that and... Coming back to Zizek as something other than funny man is, you know, I have some hope for it. It should be interesting. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited to, I'm excited you're excited or at least interested. And uh, I, yeah. this is the year of Zizek. Um, <laughs> I will be teaching a course on being in time this summer. Uh, there will be other short courses. Uh, there are plans to do Alenka Zupanchik's uh, What is Sex, which would be a bit more of a short course. Uh, and then there's a few other short courses in the works, but uh, in a lot of ways, this is the year of Zizek as far as uh, a lot of people who, th they know there's something more there and they just haven't figured out exactly what that is yet. Um, they're going to find it. There. It's also nice, like uh, my first couple attempts at college, it's like, I'm going to go and pay you to learn about being gay and communism. That seems insane. Uh, I can do that far better on my own. And then like... Yeah, sort of coming back to this of or, or this particular project of being like, I'm going to go to grad school to maybe learn something cool. No, but like I'm going to shell out for EGS or the new school to maybe run into some G like, no, give, give me the basics. Give me something to work with, something that you want. Yes. And I mean, in, in that idea right there, give me something to work with. Lecture. Do it. Uh, for Marx, there's David Harvey. Obviously, there's a lot of Marxists, but what sets David Harvey apart is that he has taught capital every year for like 30 years. He has new students every year and they read capital cover to cover. Uh, for being in time, there was Hubert Dreyfus at uh, UC Berkeley and he taught being in time every year. And so, you know, teachers like this are able to really develop approach to these kinds of texts that are the most important to the entire world of theory, right? But no one's done it like they have for Zizek. And so there's a lot of people who want to work with Zizek, who want to apply him or argue with him. But uh, I'm just excited that to be a part of that, to be able to platform that. Yo, Nance, welcome in the chat. Also, hello to Thomas and Viva, Viva Lalita, Godfrey. And uh, yeah, Thank you, all of you, for participating. And uh, Nance, it's good to see you. But we're about to close this thing out. Um, just you can go always go back over it all. We just don't want to have to repeat ourselves at this point. Want to keep it relatively short. It's a little too late for. I think we're already over an hour and a half. So, uh, Sabine, thank you so much for joining. I'm excited to see where your thought 
goes. I you asked. I will answer your question. Uh, I did read your uh, the first paragraph, and then I saw how long it was, and that I was trying to set up for a stream, and so I was like, okay, I have to come back to this later. But I was like, okay, I'm excited about this. Um, I also have a a long post on what we were just talking about how we do need lectures still. How there's like this idea that it's radical not to lecture, to refuse lecture, to put it on the students. And it's like, no, please just do it. Just actually lecture. Like for, do it for the 2% of us who actually are here for the, for the, we want to get our, we want to try to grasp what's going on, to do it. And so I'll be publishing that here in the next couple of days. So stay tuned. That'll go up on the publications tab of the Theory Underground page. Yeah, anything else you'd like to add before we uh, close this thing out? Um, I guess just for the PMC thing, excited for this possible chance to break some new ground idea-wise and for some support structure for doing that. So, you know, thanks for holding this space and nice to see you face-to-face -face, sort of. Yeah, nice nice to meet you. And just for everyone else listening or joining, uh, remember you are able to, if you are a part of the Theory Underground social media course you know, ecosystem that is just beginning, um, then you're able to pop into these calls. And so this is the equivalent of like the Discord live or the Twitter live kind of calls that occur. And uh, yeah, going so next week, uh, roughly around the same time, attempt to bring in new people to the world of philosophy and theory while building on relationships already established, we are doing a countrywide tour of the United States this fall. Are we coming to a city or a town near you? Do you think there is a venue or audience in your local region that would be interested in a lecture or facilitated discussion about existentialism, critiques of therapism, PMC ideology, self-help, introduction to philosophy, or the time-energy critique of any of those things. This speaking and discussion facilitation tour will include the Pacific Northwest in mid-August, the Kansas City, Missouri area late August or early September, Philadelphia at the beginning of October, and really we're gonna be all over the area there, hopefully, so get in contact with us if you think that we should come visit your state phoenix arizona mid-october and socal especially san diego late october i say especially san diego because we already have our guide for the san diego region what's the difference between a host a guide and a volunteer you ask well thanks for asking actually the volunteer role is for people who want to put up posters or in other ways promote the events that will be occurring in their town or city. Whereas the host might have a guest bedroom, guest house, or a place that we can park our van so that we can sleep in our van. We need to know if you would have like bathroom facilities or anything like that. And so the form on the website is where you can tell us what you have to offer. Guiding on the other hand though, people who love to guide take a lot of pride in their local knowledge. A good example of that would be Michael Downs when I visited him in Raytown, Missouri, and he took me into Kansas City and we had barbecue and he took me to the mall and to all these other landmark places from his life growing up there. Um, but a more recent example would be my friend Michael in Poland who took us around Katowice, Poland and basically gives a historical and sociological analysis of everything. And it was amazing. It was, it was one of the coolest. 
things we've ever experienced. And it made us realize some people just want to provide the space and privacy, whereas other people want to take you out and show you around. And so if you're interested in being a volunteer, host, or guide, we have a special form for that. So please fill out your information and uh, get in contact with us as soon as possible so we can fit you into the schedule because we'll love to meet you, touch base with the local community. And if you don't think anyone else in your area is interested in the things that you're interested in, if you don't think anyone else is into this stuff, well, we might be able to surprise you. When I saw that poster, Bulgrillard in Boise fucking Idaho, are you kidding me? It was virtually an, an answer to an unspoken prayer, you know, really was. And I just couldn't believe that somebody was interested in the things that I was interested in, that I had been interested in for years and had kind of given up on in, in futility. I'd labored in solitude for so long, I had no one to talk to about it, no one to bounce ideas off. This tour is going to bring together a lot of people who want to be based in text with the people they're in conversation with. and. Yeah, I think it's going to be a fantastic year. The only other thing that I want to say is that Michael Downs' first book is going to be published by Theory Underground really soon here. I've got another book coming out really soon here. These books will be spread throughout the United States on this tour. So I'm hoping to be able to do some actual book launch events at various bookstores. Outside of that, I guess the last thing that I would say is that Michael Downs is gearing up to teach For They Know Not What They Do by Slavoj Žižek. We're putting out all these introduction videos and other interviews related to the topic of Hegel, Lacan, Žižek because we want to give people an accessible and sturdy basis in the discourse. The problem is, is that Michael Downs is very busy having to work at a wage slave job. And so if you want to help in freeing Mikey, make sure to go to his Patreon at patreon.com forward slash the dangerous baby and make a donation. Thank you. I would be remiss to close this out without a quick shout out to our patrons and our anonymous donors. Thank you so much for the donations already. We've only been around for a month. We already got over $3,000 in donations. Um, and so thank you and uh, stay tuned for the app, which is on its way. There will be a Fury Underground app so the current setup is that it is a social media site built around courses where you can suppose that people who are involved in the discussions have a shared interest in the same or similar texts and where you can assume in a lot of the discussions that yeah people have read the stuff that you're reading uh that you're bringing into dialogue and so uh for instance the idea of the university by carl jaspers dedicated forum before they don't know what they do, dedicated for him. And then as people take the course over the years, new people will be coming into that forum. And so if you get in there early, you'll be able to see how the conversation evolves. And as new people add into the conversation, it'll bring back memories and like things that you want to work through, questions that you had with the first time that you read the text. And so I'm really excited for this. The reason I've built this website is because I think that this is what's lacking in so many other spaces is that ability to return to be able to communicate after the fact and in a sustained way 
on a platform that's not attention grabby and annoying like Discord. And so stay tuned because there is an app on the way. Thank you to our donors. If you want to donate, go to theory-underground.com forward slash support. Thank you.